0: I want to start with a question for you. What type of person are you? What type of person are you? Are you a rule follower or are you a rule breaker? All right. Are you the type of person who um, enjoys structure, order, rules, or are you fun? <laughs> Does that mean? Uh, maybe I'll phrase it this way. Uh, do you, uh, like, obe- are you an obedient person, or do you just let your sinful, chaotic heart lead you in this life? Um, now, now, let's keep it civil. I don't want, don't turn on your spouse or uh, somebody sitting next to you, um, but think about game night, okay? Maybe this is family game night, you're playing board games, maybe you're having friends, you're, you're playing board games together. Are you the type of person Who will read the instructions for thirty minutes before you ever play the game, and that's probably more fun for you? Or are you the person who just says, "Let's just start playing; we'll figure it out as we go"? All right. So my wife is a rule follower, one hundred percent. She hates that I hate instructions. Um, I I am actually a mixed bag. I'm a little bit of both. I'm a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker. Um, Quick example. Um, there's a game called Can Jam. Uh, you play with a frisbee. Uh, we actually played with a lot of uh, guys on the men's retreat earlier this year. We played Can Jam. We had a tournament. And while we were at this, uh, I, I've owned this game for like seven or eight years. And while we were at our men's retreat, one of the guys decided to go to the Can Jam um, official rules on their website. Um, and turns out that for seven or eight years, I've been scoring this game wrong. Right? <laughs> So the concept of the game was correct. I understood how to play, but the rules, I just made it, I just made it up. You're like, whose line is it anyway? Y'all, y'all remember that show? Like, the, there's no rules, and we just make up the points as we go. Um, and so that's kind of how I would play these games. But I have grown in my life to need structure, to need order, especially when it comes to, like, my workday. As I am working, I need a to-do list. Uh, we have uh, a It's a project management system. And so it, I just have a to-do list every day. And if I stray away from that to-do list, my day is just going to be chaos. Um, and so I just focus on what's in front of me. I check off one thing at a time. It helps me focus. It helps me get things done. And as that to-do list gets smaller and smaller and smaller, I start to feel better and better and better Right? I get a sense of pride. I get a sense of accomplishment that I took care of business today because everything on my list was checked off, and I took care of what I needed to. So why am I talking about this? Um, well, today we have this uh, discourse, this scenario with the uh, Pharisees and Jesus. Okay, and so the Pharisees, uh, If we're just going to do a recap. As we've been looking at Mark, we've heard of the Pharisees already a few times. And the Pharisees are a religious group, and their main goal was to uh, obey and follow the laws of God, right? That was, that was what they wanted to do. Um, and as we have talked about, as Alex talked about a few weeks ago, we have the law of God, right? God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, don't do this, do do this, and then the Pharisees said, we don't want to get close to breaking those laws, so we're going to build a bunch of laws around that, right? And so they created their own set of laws, their own rules, their own boundaries for living their life, and what they decided to do was to put that on everybody else, that they wanted everybody else to follow the rules that they put in place, they didn't actually care about the rules that God put in place, and so... Their laws that they created were, it was a long list, it was unrealistic, it was restrictive for people, it was difficult to uphold, and the Pharisees took pride in the fact that they upheld their laws. They took pride in the fact that they were able to accomplish the things that they had on that to-do or not-to-do list. And so on the other hand, we have Jesus, and before you yell at me, um, I am not saying that Jesus is a rule-breaker not what I'm doing. I'm not giving all you rule breakers out there a free pass. There is nobody in the history of the world who has broken less rules than Jesus. We know that Jesus is perfect. We know that Jesus was completely obedient to the will of the Father. He completely obeyed every single law of the Father. And so, while he never broke any rules of the Father, he broke a lot of rules of the Pharisees that they had put in place, which were restrictive and difficult, as I talked about. And so... These Pharisees did not like the way that Jesus was living. They were not okay with the way that he went about his ministry. And so this is not the first time we've seen this in the book of Mark as we've been going through it. Right, we have seen that the, it, just in chapter 2 alone, we have seen that the Pharisees got upset at Jesus because he claimed to be able to forgive sins. Right? They got mad at Jesus because he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. They got upset with Jesus because his disciples were not fasting as they thought they should be fasting. And then today what we see, the topic in question is the Sabbath, right? And so before we jump into Mark chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 23 today, and we're going to work our way into chapter 3, verse 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there on your Bibles or or flip there on your phones. Um, But before we get there, I just want to talk about what is the Sabbath? Right. What is this Sabbath that maybe you've heard about it a lot, you've grown up in church, you've been around church, maybe you have no idea what this is, but the Sabbath was the seventh day of the Jewish week. So at Friday at sundown all the way to Saturday at sundown, that was their seventh day. And what they were to do based on the Ten Commandments that God had given them is they were to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does that really mean? Well, it was a call of God for his people to be free of labor, to be free of burden, to be free of work, and it was also a day where he called them to remember everything that God had done to free them from slavery in Egypt, right? We know Israel was enslaved, they were captive, and God freed them from that, and so he said, hey, on the seventh day of the week, you rest, you do not work. And you remember that God is the one who saved you when you were slaves. And so there's actually two Hebrew words that kind of go into this Sabbath idea. The first one is Shabbat. You can kind of see how we got from Shabbat to Sabbath in English. Um, Shabbat means to cease or to quit. So stop whatever you're doing. Shabbat, quit. And then there's a second word, which is nuach, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But that means to dwell or to abide. Right? And so there's this idea of rest. The Sabbath means rest. It is a day of rest. We rest from our work, but we also rest, we abide in God. And so we see that God did this, right? God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He ceased his work. But he also, what we see just a few verses later in Genesis chapter 2, is that uh, with Adam, he rested Adam in the garden and was with him in the garden. He abided with Adam, right? And so there's this idea that when we Sabbath, when we rest, we are not only resting from something, but we are resting in God. And so um, the Sabbath, it's obviously an important thing, right? God put in the Ten Commandments. God created it. God gave it to his people to keep holy. But as we said before, the Pharisees would add to what the God's law was, right? And so for the Pharisees, what was the Sabbath? Well, it was all that stuff that we just talked about, and then it was 39 additional rules that they added on to it, right? So God told his people not to work. He said, do not plow your land, do not start a fire, do not um, carry a burden, Right, that's kind of subjective. What is a burden? And so, because these Pharisees didn't want to carry a burden, because they uh, this rule is kind of subjective, they wanted to make sure that it was objective, that everybody knew exactly what they could and could not do. And so, the Jewish rabbis added 39 rules. And I just want to list a few. The first one: no cooking. Second one: no washing or cleaning. Half of you are like, "I love the Sabbath. Let's do it. Let's keep the Sabbath. It's holy. All right, let's do it." Well, then we get a little weird. You are not allowed to tie or untie any knots, all right? So if you have a friend, he like pulls a prank on you and ties your shoe knots together, you're just, you got to hop around all day. You can't walk more than 1,999 paces. That's about a mile or so. Can't walk more than that. You are not allowed to carry anything um, that is of a substantial weight. I don't know what that, like does a gallon of milk count? I don't know. Uh, A baby, you just got to leave your baby there for a day. You are not allowed to harvest or reap your crops. You cannot administer health care unless it is fatal. So somebody breaks their leg, you're like, rub some dirt on it. Actually, I don't know, is that allowed? Can I rub dirt on things? Uh, If someone dies, they stay where they died. Don't move them. But they're pretty liberal in this one. If you needed to sew something, you could sew up to one stitch. (laughs) And so in an attempt to keep these people, to keep the Jewish nation as set apart, as holy, as respecting the law that God had put in place, they put all these rules in place. And I'm sure you're trying not to have a burden on the Sabbath, but it seems like all of these rules probably added much more of a burden than what the actual Sabbath would have. And so I hope that this kind of gives you an idea on where the Pharisees are coming from, where Jesus is, and it gives us the picture of where we come as we jump into the Scripture. So Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Let's read that. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees, one, why are you in the grain field? What are you doing there except looking for fault in Jesus? And they found fault in the disciples of Jesus. And so they approached Jesus. Uh, the disciples are walking along. I imagine they're, Jesus is probably talking. They're having a conversation. They're having a, a great day. And the disciples were like, man, I'm a little hungry, so I'm just going to grab this grain, or maybe your Bible says corn. Uh, I'm just going to grab this. I'm going to peel off uh, the husks. I'm going to peel off whatever it is, and I'm just going to begin to start munching on this grain as we're walking. doesn't seem all that burdensome to me, but for the Pharisees, it gave them a way to attack and come against Jesus. And so in verse 25 and 26, we get a response of Jesus He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So the Pharisees would have known this story. Right? They knew every amount of scripture. They knew all of this. Uh, They knew that it took place. And Jesus brings up this story to them to show them that the needs of people, the needs of people like David, who they would have held in reverence, right? Are you telling me that David broke the law because he ate the bread that was unlawful for anyone to eat except for the high priest? No, because the the law is put in place. Yes, there are traditions, there are rules, but the needs of people should outweigh the ceremonial traditions and laws, right? The disciples were in need of food. They were just walking along. It wasn't burdensome for them, and so why would it be unlawful for them to simply pluck some wheat, some grain, some corn, whatever it was? And Jesus He's basically saying that's common sense. You were just searching for a way to be unhappy. You're just looking for a way to get, um, to, to, you know, trap me, if you will. And so what we see, what Jesus does next, um, he has a different response. And this is really going to be a focal point for our time today. Verse 27, Jesus says to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given. The Sabbath was instituted for men. Men were not made to uphold the laws and the restrictions of the Sabbath. God didn't design the Sabbath to to be a burden. God did not design the Sabbath um, as just a rule to follow without a reason and without a purpose. Remember, God put this law in place so that people could rest in him, so they could rest from their work. It is a gift that God gave his people. It is a gift to say that, you know what, focus on me because I am ultimately in control, not you. So you can take a break from your work. You can take a break from your toiling and your striving, and you can rest in me. I saved you from Egypt, and I am going to be the one who saves you every single day of your life. So take this day as a gift. It was a reminder of God's goodness, right, that he saved them from their enemies. And it's a reminder that God invited them into his family. Right in the Old Testament, God says over and over again, you will be my people and I will be your God. There is a intimate relationship between God and his people, and they were invited into that, and so they can rest in that on the Sabbath. And so this gift for man to enjoy had just become a to-do list or a not to-do list that the Pharisees were trying to keep holy. They were no longer keeping the day holy. They were no longer keeping the sentiment holy. They were keeping their to-do list holy. That's what they cared about more than anything else. So the Pharisees were not resting in the control that God had in their lives. They were resting in their own control to control their outcomes, right? And so the blessing of the Sabbath had become a burden for his people, and Jesus is not okay with that. And I want to ask you a question today. Do you find time to rest from your busyness? Do you find a time to rest in God? Do you have a Sabbath routine that you partake in? You see, we can go forward in the story of Jesus, and we know that Jesus fulfilled the entire law right? When Jesus was killed, when he died, was buried, when he rose from the grave, we know that that means that he fulfilled the entire Old Testament law. So we are no longer bound to those laws. So we are no longer required to practice the Sabbath on Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown. However, it is still a gift, a good gift that has been given to us, and we should receive it and enjoy it and partake in this good gift that God has given us because it's not about the rule, it's about what it does for us. It's about resting in Jesus. See, I think for most of us, it's probably difficult for us to rest. It's probably difficult for us to just stop and be. Our schedules are so fill, full, they're so busy, right? Just like my my work days that I have, I have a to-do list that I got to get all these things done. I feel like that's probably how a lot of you live your life, that you go from one thing to another, to another, to another, and you never actually stop to slow down. You have to get things done at work, and then you have to get things done at home, or you have to get things done with the kids, and you have to take your family to all these different activities, and you have to do this, you have to do that, because if I can just do all these things in my life, I'm going to have it all figured out, and I'm going to be good. But we have never actually been more stressed and anxious in human history than we are right now. So our toiling, our striving, our our need for control and taking care of all these different things in our lives are actually a burden. They make things worse. And so what we need to hear today is that there is rest from your productivity. There is rest from your busyness, from your exhaustion, And there is rest physically that we can take in the Sabbath. But there is also a rest from your stress, from your anxiety, from your fear, from your anger, from your loneliness. There is a rest from all of those emotional and spiritual things that we can have when we rest in God and in His presence. We are not people that just need physical rest. We need spiritual rest. And we can only get that through God. Our first point today is that the Sabbath reminds us of God's goodness. We partake in the Sabbath so that we can be reminded of how good God is to us, how much God has done in our lives. Christ brings peace. He brings reconciliation to the weary and the tired soul. Right? Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. We've heard this verse, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the invitation of our Savior. That is the invitation of God in the flesh, right? That God isn't this distant God that has his arms stretched out to us, but he's saying, come to me. If you are tired, if you are weary, rest in me. Don't handle it all on yourself. Don't try to earn your acceptance, your satisfaction, your forgiveness by being this type of person, but come to me. I am inviting you into my presence to take rest. The gift of the Sabbath invites us into that, to have physical, emotional, and spiritual rest in Jesus. God cares for us. God's fountain, God's well never runs dry. And he desires to meet our needs. He desires to give us rest. He calls us to relax and to trust him to take care of those things in our life that we are anxious about, that we're stressed about, that we are unsure about. He doesn't want us to just simply work harder and white knuckle and try to get through it. He wants us to come and to rest and to sit. And for some of you, you're like, that stresses me out even more. I get it. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath reminds us that God is in control and we are not. That God put the world into motion and we're just here. (laughs) We're at the mercy of that. So we need to rest and trust in him. Then in verse 28, Jesus kind of gives this mic drop statement. As if what he already said wasn't enough, he says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for man, man was not made for the Sabbath, that's good. He gives the story of David in the Old Testament, he goes, that's good, that's another example. But then he basically says, hey, I created the Sabbath, I'll make the rules. I, I, I am God, I was with God the Father, God the Spirit in the beginning, and we created the Sabbath and then we gave it as a gift to our people, so you're not the one who's going to tell me what the rules are. right? Jesus is Lord of the sabbath we know this probably made the Pharisees even angrier than they already were but we're going to jump to chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 we get another story pretty similar again he entered the synagogue that's Jesus and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the sabbath they, these guys need to get a life they need a hobby or, hey, if you are going around peeking at people's lives to see if they mess up, pray, pray for yourself. Don't be a Pharisee. All right. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. The actual word is fury. Fury. He looked at them with fury, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so the man stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. And so we have a similar story. The Pharisees are creeping around the corners trying to catch Jesus in the act of something unlawful, and this time there's a man with a withered hand at the synagogue. Jesus calls this man to him. As we know, time and time again, Jesus has a crowd around him. There's always people following Jesus, wanting to see what he does next. Jesus, I guarantee you, was at a prominent place in the synagogue. So when Jesus calls this man to him, this man probably walks up to Jesus in front of the eyes of everybody there, including the Pharisees. Jesus knows this, and he wants to make a point. See, this man is probably an outcast this man was probably uh, shunned. This man probably had some shame because at this time they believed that if you had an ailment like this, it was because of the sins of yourself or somebody in your family. He guarantee you he didn't have work that he could do. He couldn't do any labor with a lame hand. And Jesus calls him in front of everybody. And what does Jesus do? He asked the Pharisees, is it better for me to do good or to do bad? Is it better for me to bring life or to kill on the Sabbath day? They know the answer. They remain silent. So what does Jesus do? He heals the man. Again, Jesus makes the point very clear that people take priority over these rules and restrictions that you have put in place. If your rules are put in place and they don't take care of the needs of people, then they shouldn't be there. Jesus heals this man. This man, for the first time, is invited into something good. He's invited into the goodness of God. He's invited into uh, having value, having acceptance, that he can have true rest in knowing that Jesus accepted him as he was. That Jesus healed him. Jesus offered this man a new life. He offered this man a future that he could not have with that withered hand. Right? He offered life, and what did the Pharisees offer? They offer death. They offer evil. How do they respond? Right? These, these were rabbis. They were teachers of the law. They taught people about the God who had redeemed them and had saved them from Egypt. Right? They, they teak, teach about God. They are the representatives of God in this time. The merciful, holy, loving God. They are his representatives. How do they respond when they see this? They respond with hard hearts seeking to destroy, seeking to kill Jesus. They don't respond with celebration. They don't respond with mercy for this man. They don't respond with amazement and compassion at what Jesus had just done. They respond with hard hearts. This man was just healed. His whole life was made new. See, the Pharisees had a knowledge They had a knowledge that was far greater than anyone else at this time, but they entirely missed the message of God. They entirely missed the message of what the law of God was meant to do. Our second point today is the Sabbath reminds us to extend God's goodness. It reminds us that we need to extend that same goodness of God. Tim Keller has a quote where he says, the law of God is a way of showing you how to love God and others instead of being absorbed in yourself. The Pharisees got caught up in the practice of the law and forgot about the meaning of it. They forgot about what God was calling them to do. You see, the law of God, if we can sum it up, is to love God and to love people. That's the law of God. Jesus says it in the New Testament. So, when we... When we practice the Sabbath, what do we do? We are reminded of God's goodness. We're reminded of what he has done in our lives. And as recipients of that goodness, as recipients of his mercy and reconciliation, his grace, we are to extend that to other people in this world. We are not to sit on our wealth of knowledge. right? This is a fundamental truth of Christianity that we love because he first loved us. We take that love to the world. And so I have a question for you. Hope this gets uncomfortable. Does our church look more like Pharisees or like Jesus? Do you look more like a Pharisee or do you look more like Jesus? Are you going to the center? Are you going and extending mercy and grace? Or are you sitting on your rules? Are you sitting on your own accomplishments? Are you sitting on the way that you live your life thinking that you are better than others, Because here's the truth. I believe that every single person in here has a little bit of Pharisee in them. Every single one. And we must be careful not to be self-righteous, not to be prideful, not to be uh, legalistic, because that's exactly how the world thinks that we are. True? So let us look inward real quick. Uh, tell me if this statement sounds like, actually, don't tell me just think to yourself does this statement sound like me when a scripture or a sermon talks about sin do I typically think of others instead of myself when you read scripture do you think man I wish this person read this do you think man I wish my husband would read this scripture do you text it to him it's not from me it's from Jesus When you have a conflict with others, could it be resolved if they just changed something in their lives? Could a conflict just be figured out if they changed a thing here or there? Or are you looking at yourself thinking, man, I need to show more grace. I need to change some things about me. This last one, um, and this is the hardest one for me. I would be surprised if certain sinners could ever come to faith in Jesus. Would you be surprised if somebody in your life, if some certain type of person in this world would ever come to a saving faith in Jesus? Or do you believe in the grace and the power of the gospel? We, uh, in my home group a few weeks ago, we were talking about this and. the We're going through the book of Acts and we're talking about how the gospel is for those who least deserve it, for those who you would at least expect them to get it. So why do we as Christians write off people because they're sinful, because they live like hell, because they don't know Jesus? They need Jesus. That's why they're living like that. You don't live good so that you can get Jesus. You need Jesus because you don't have him and you live like hell. And we as the church We're going to make ourselves useless if we don't extend God's goodness and God's truth to this world. What is the point of the church if we aren't doing what we were called to do? So the Pharisees, what did they do? They held on tight to the rules that they had. These rules that were meant to honor God with their life, they held on tight to those But how are they remembered now? They're remembered as self-righteous, judgmental, legalistic, bad guys. Nobody has ever said the word Pharisee and somebody been like, man, I want to be a Pharisee when I grow up. Nobody's going to be dressed up as a Pharisee at Halloween next week. We, we know that these Pharisees are not good, but sometimes we can turn into Pharisees. We can sit on our truth of what we know, of what God has called us to do, and we can judge everybody out there because they're not living the way that they should be living. And hear me, church. Hear me say this. There is a truth. There is a standard, and there is obedience and surrender that we need to have because Jesus is not only our Savior, but He is Lord. However... We are called to take that truth, to take that standard, to take that obedience, and we are called to take that in love to this world. Because we want to see lives transformed. We want to see just like Jesus did with this man with the withered hand. We want to see different futures going forward. It doesn't matter about the past. We are called to see reconciliation. We are called to be um, ambassadors of reconciliation to see repentance, to see lives made new, to see people living in sin begin to live in forgiveness, to see people living in bondage, living in freedom for the first time. That's what we are called to do. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we carry a message of grace, not condemnation. And so the singular difference between the message of the Pharisees and the message of Jesus is this. The message of the Pharisees was that you live your life this way and you—and God will show you mercy. You live your life this way and you will have um, reconciliation with God. You can have a right relationship with God if you live this way. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't care how you live, you are welcome with me. I don't care who you are and what you've done. Come to me all who are weary, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because it's not about us, it's about him. It's about how good he is, how gracious how he is, how merciful he is, how loving unconditionally he is. Not us. None of us. None of us are deserving. I believe that you, at one point in your life, were probably the person you were looking down your nose at. And so, before we become a Pharisee with others, let us look back to our own life. Not only to remember who we were, but so that we can remember God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace and love that he has poured out on us. And let's be people that extend that same grace and love to others. How are we to be the church and display the kingdom? How are you to be the church, to display the kingdom this week? The first one is practice a Sabbath rest. Listen, you don't have to... As we talked about, you are not required to practice a day where you do nothing. That is not the new covenant in Jesus. However, it is a gift and it is a good practice and rhythm that we should have. That we should practice the Sabbath. We should practice the time to just sit and rest. Be with your family. Spend time with those you love. And not be burdened with this world. The second point, remember God's goodness in your life. Right? When you practice that Sabbath, remember what God has done in your life, where how he has redeemed you, how he has made you new, and rest in that truth. Third one, take the truth of Jesus with love to this world. That same love that you have been given, extend it to others. Be the people that Jesus has called us to be, his hands, his feet to see others come into a saving relationship with the God of the universe who loves them so much. So we should love them too. Let's pray.